Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. some additional scriptures today, more so than perhaps we uh, normally do, but I think it's an important thing because we're talking about one of the most important subjects in the Christian community, amen, because it had not been for the resurrection of the Lord, if it had not been for the resurrection of the Lord, then all of this would have been in vain. Amen? And I'm thankful for that. Um, I have just a small problem I need to take care of. How was that? I, I had a problem, and I wanted desperately to pin that on somebody else. <laughs> but uh, the book of Matthew, chapter 28, if you'll join us there and remain seated, we're going to just read verses 1 through 10. And uh, I pray this morning that the message that we talk about will be just embrace and accept it in our heart because I don't feel any pressure whatsoever to try to spin this message, to try to add anything to it because we just need to tell this like it is because this is the most profound truth in all of scripture. And as I said, this is the pinnacle, this is the pivotal point of, of the Christian church and our faith. Because had the Lord not resurrected again, then it would have all fallen flat. It would have been no different than any other God or any other deity of their day. But I'm thankful that he lives this morning. The Bible says this, Matthew 28, 1 through 10. The scripture says, in the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear ye not, fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here for he is risen. As he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him, lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy and did run to bring his disciples word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, all hail. And they came and held him by his feet and worshipped him. And finally, verse number 10, Then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid. Go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there shall they see me. What a tremendous, tremendous truth. What a tremendous hope, because this was the hope of the Lord. We have to understand that at this particular moment in time, 
that the disciples themselves were feeling somewhat dejected and somewhat, if I may be as bold to even say, disillusioned. Because try as they may to exercise their faith, their faith was under fire. And we've all found ourselves in that same identical place, that position. As much as we wanted to believe like the man in the Bible, we also had to interject that, Lord, help mine unbelief. Amen. And so those that had walked with him, talked with him, had been close enough to feel his breath, to hear his heart beat, to understand his passions in the most intimate of ways, were now standing with their faith shaken to its very, very core. For several weeks, we've been talking about foundational, uh, a, a series entitled The Foundation, because we've been talking about the foundational aspects of the church. What makes the church, the church is not the lighting. What makes the church, the church is not programs and, and uh, necessarily ministries per se, if I would use that word loosely. But what makes the church, the church are foundational principles, the foundation upon which the church is built. Amen. And so we have to stand upon the foundation and it's good to revisit these foundations from time to time. A part of the foundation today that we need to consider, and it is in theme, of course, with our, our celebration today and our acknowledgement, and that is the fact that Jesus Christ is the resurrection. Amen. He didn't just rise and resurrect himself, but he is the resurrection. Jesus' resurrection constitutes, without a doubt, the greatest miracle of all time. Along with his death on the cross, it signaled a a turning point in human history, a turning point that we would never, ever visit again. Without the underlying hope of the resurrection from the dead, the resurrection of the dead, the entire Christian belief system would collapse in its tracks. And so this is how important the resurrection is. Irrespective of what society or our Western culture has tried to make uh, this Easter holiday into, this is not about bunny rabbits and it's not about uh, eggs and things of that nature. It's not about just uh, an opportunity to buy a new suit of clothes or a pair of shoes or whatever it may be. This is the most pivotal point in our Christian faith. I'm thankful for the fact that he was born as we have recently celebrated. I'm thankful that he lived. We've studied about the life of Christ. I'm thankful that he was born and that he lived. And uh, if I may say so without sounding crude, I'm thankful that he died because of the purpose of his death. But here we are at the most important moment in time as the church holds its breath to see what indeed is going to happen. He rose. He lives. These are foundational principles that we cannot dare afford to drift from. Amen. Without the resurrection, Jesus would have been nothing more than just a dead Messiah. All the expectations, all of the hope, all of the messages that have been preached, all of the signs that have been shown and lessons that have been taught would have died with him. Thankfully, however, the tomb was empty. Not only does this vital doctrine take center stage in the New Testament, but the early Christian preaching was saturated with the good news that Jesus Christ had risen. And so as a model of bodily resurrection, Jesus led away for us. Because, amen, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but because, because he was able to rise one day, we will be able to rise. Amen. And he conquered death, hell, and the grave, not just for himself, but for you and I. Amen. And so those who were born again and endure to the end. And I want to insert that in t with great intention today. It's not just enough to be born again at some juncture in our life, but we need to endure to the end. I need to make it all the way to the end. Amen. Those will joyfully ex experience their own bodily resurrection according to John eleven twenty five. 25. Now there's a lot of examples of resurrection in scripture. Uh, and and I'm, I very feel confident because of what John wrote that if all were written that could be written, the world wouldn't contain uh, the book. So I feel like that I'm safe in saying that of all the resurrections that we have record of, they only represent just a few. 
They only represent just a little of what uh, perhaps really took place in the life and ministry of Jesus and even at the hand of his disciples. It seems like that resurrecting the dead, especially in the ministry of the Lord, uh, was almost commonplace. I carefully use that, but I think it was almost commonplace. We find a story in Luke 7 about the widow's son near the city gate in the Galilean village of Nain. Jesus and his disciples came across the funeral procession. A widow had lost her only son. In the midst of tragedy and in the midst of all of this sorrow and grief, Jesus had compassion on the widow, and this is what he instructed her. He said to her, stop crying. That's kind of a strange request when your only son is in a coffin and you're in a funeral possession. That's kind of a strange request to say you ought to stop weeping. He commanded the corpse to rise. And according to scripture that not only did the man rise or did that corpse rise, he sat up and spoke. Amen. I, I think that's pretty incredible that he spoke. Amen. This miracle brought fear on those that witnessed this. And they glorified God and began to spread the news of this young man's resurrection all across the community. Amen. One example of Jesus raising the dead. There was the example of Jairus' daughter, a ruler. Jairus was a ruler of the synagogue in Capernaum. And, and he urged Jesus, he said, to come. If you'll just come, I need you to heal my daughter because she is near unto death. However, by the time Jesus got to the ruler's home, the girl had already passed away. The mourners that were there somewhat ridiculed Jesus for stating that she was merely asleep. Amen. They thought he was just being a little bit presumptuous. Well, you weren't here. We watched him draw his last breath. This is far more than sleep. But they were not understanding the power and the value of who they were talking to. And so after he dismissed the crowd from the house, Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. Why? For pomp, for flash, amen, for, uh, for accolades of men? No. Jesus, if Jesus is ever doing anything, he is teaching. He's, he's not doing stuff just to do stuff, but he said, I want to show you something. Amen. Whether he was saying that with his lips or not with his life, he was saying, I want to show you something. And what he wanted to show them was, is that not that he had resurrection power, but he was showing them that I am the resurrection. Amen. This is not something I can just do like Samson. There's something that kind of comes on me from time to time. I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection. I want to reiterate, no matter how many examples we have in Scripture, I think they only represent a minority of what truly went on. Amen. The lies that were changed, the lies that were touched. We could not dare talk about the resurrection of the dead without talking about one of Jesus' personal friends, that being a man by the name of Lazarus. After arriving what man deemed too late to, in Bethany to heal Lazarus, Jesus was asked to be escorted to the tomb. After requesting for the stone to be removed and praying a short prayer, and even though he was praying this prayer with a lot of opposition around him somewhat, because they were reminding him of how long he had been dead, they were reminding him that by now he stinks. I mean, this is not going to be a pleasant sight whenever we roll this stone away. But Jesus commanded the deceased, Lazarus, to arise. And the man who had been dead four days walked out of that tomb, still bound in grave clothes. Amen. But he came out of that tomb. And so Jesus' raising of Lazarus uh, was a great joy to his family members. They had great joy now to see their brother alive and well again. But it wasn't a great joy to everybody. Because there were those that considered, uh, those temple authorities that considered what Jesus was doing to be somewhat in rebellion. Amen. They didn't understand the magnitude of what was going on. It proved to be that, as a matter of fact, this incident with Lazarus kind of proved to be that proverbial straw that broke the camel's back. Because from that day on, members of this religious hierarchy began to plot 
a way to kill Jesus. Amen. So everybody wasn't excited for the fact that he was and is the resurrection. While Jesus attracted large crowds who wished to anoint him king, John 6, he resisted their misguided attempts, their misguided attempts to install him into some other position, some other place, some other title. Because you see, what they wanted him to be was maybe a political or a great military leader that would overthrow the Roman rule. That was kind of what they had in their mind. They had reduced Jesus down to just being a, uh, he would make a great politician. He would make a great leader. He would maybe uh, make a great military leader. Constantly, multitudes misunderstood the nature of his mission. They just couldn't get it in their mind what he had truly come to do. He did not come to earth to seek earthly positions, but he came, literally, to suffer, die on a cross, and raise again on the third day. That was his mission from the very beginning. I don't want to underscore the cruelty of Calvary's purpose and cross. I don't want to underscore at all the bloodiness of his death, but I do want us to understand that he came with this intent in mind. And so when uh, even his disciples failed to understand sometimes the full magnitude of his mission. And so when confronted by the evidence of an empty tomb, many of his own disciples struggled to comprehend the certainty of his resurrection. I think they wanted to believe, but something inside of them struggled to believe. Now, before we get real judgmental about that, I think we find ourselves that way many times ourselves. We hear some great report of people that receive the Holy Ghost over here or miracles and signs that have happened over there. Those in our day currently that have been raised from the dead. And while we want to believe that, there's still something down inside of us that says, ah. Right? I hear these and receive many times missionary reports about what's going on in other countries and not just not just outside of our nation. I don't want to imply that. But, but what's going on outside of our nation as well as in our nation. And what God is doing. And, and if we're not careful, we can rejoice on one side with what God is doing in another country or in another state or another region of our nation. And at the same time, we can allow doubt to kind of creep in our, our own lives. But I'm, I'm thankful to know that He is the resurrection this morning. Amen. And so when they were confronted by the empty tomb and doubt began to move into their heart and their mind, Jesus had a way. I'm going to prove myself. I want to show you. He didn't get frustrated and go choose 12 more disciples. He didn't get frustrated with them and, and throw them away and, uh, uh, and, and, and uh, abolish them, so to speak, uh, from, from the New Testament church. Why? Because he understood that they were fearfully and wonderfully made. He understood their doubt. He understood their anxiety. He understood, he understood what was going on in their mind. He got it. He got it. And so he didn't get frustrated. Amen. He didn't get frustrated. He said, I'll just prove myself. I'll prove myself. So along the, lo- the road leading to the village of Emmaus, Jesus re- rebuked two disciples for failing to believe the news that he was alive again. Despite their unbelief, Jesus had just risen earlier as he declared, amen, in an attempt to, 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 to prove who he was, in an attempt to underline who he was, the unbelieving scribes and Pharisees insisted that he perform a sign, Matthew 12. But Jesus said, I'm not going to indulge you. I don't need to bow and down at your altar to prove you anything. Amen to the scribes and Pharisees. He declined to indulge them. Rather, he said to them, this was his reply to them, because you see, their heart wasn't right. They were doubters from the very beginning. He said, an evil and an adulterous generation is going to seek after a sign, but I am not going to give you any sign. Amen. Not like you're looking for, but I will tell you this, and I'm paraphrasing this. He said, I'm just going to be, there's going to be no sign except that of the prophet Jonas in Matthew 12. Jesus explained then. He said like Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights. That he would spend three days and three nights in the earth. And just as Jonah remained for that length of time, 
Amen. But he said, but as he came out, so I will come out again. He insisted, however, a little bit something different than the story of Jonah because he knew that uh, they had, were going to have to get this because, again, if Jesus is speaking, Jesus is teaching. He didn't say that he was just going to come out. He didn't just say he was going to rise again. Amen. But he insisted that he would be the one that performed the miracle, that he would raise himself from the dead. After he cleansed the temple, the, the Jews, they asked for a sign in John 2. And Jesus said, if you destroy this temple, this was his reply, if you destroy this temple, I will raise it up again in three days. Amen. Just like today, the time that Jesus lived in, there was a fair share of skeptics who doubted his claim. The Sadducees, for example, denied the reality of a bodily resurrection. Paul likewise encountered those who denied the resurrection, including certain members of the Corinthian church. And so if we think about this, to deny or reject the resurrection, that holds serious consequences for the Christian faith. Because as I said in my opening comments, this is the pivotal point. This is the tipping point of the entire New Testament church. The truth of Jesus' resurrection could be substantiated by anyone that cared to pause and just examine, just examine the evidence. I mean, let's just look at the evidence. As Luke stated in his preference, in his preface rather, in the book of Acts, the Bible says in Acts 1 and 3, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs being seen of them 40 days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now, if we look into the Gospels, the Gospels recount various disciples who witnessed the empty tomb on the very first day of the week. Many others witnessed his post-resurrection appearances during the 40 days that followed. Some saw the first day. Some saw days that were to come, according to Acts 1. Furthermore, Paul even acknowledged that Jesus afterward appeared to the twelve, including Simon Peter, 1 Corinthians 15, 500 believers, and also in 1 Corinthians 15. Again in that same chapter, James, the brother of Jesus, and again Paul declared that Jesus revealed himself to him. These post-resurrection appearances, if I could say that, of Jesus were public events. They were witnessed by many people. And I think it's important to, to underline that. Because this didn't happen in a vacuum. This did not just take place in some back room or the backside of a mountain or out in some prairie. But, but this was a public thing. Many people were able to be exposed to the fact that Jesus Christ had indeed risen. I think Jesus <coughs> stepped outside the realm of his own disciples on purpose. I think there were those that had no vested interest in some respects of what was going on. That Jesus revealed himself because he wanted to have footprints and fingerprints wherever he went. That there were some, amen, that could prove and know with a surety that he did live again. Amen. These were, were, were witnessed by many, many people. The Bible talks about the proofs of the Scripture. The evidence that Jesus had been raised from the dead was indisputable. His resurrection was verified, as Acts 1 and 3 says, by many infallible proofs. Amen. Many infallible proofs. And so despite everything that was going on behind the scenes, of the, uh, of the temple authorities trying to make this look like some sort of sham, trying to make this look, look like way less than it truly was. Amen. They tried to say that the disciples have stolen the body. They tried to say that the disciples have hidden the body of Jesus. Even before the resurrection, the scribes and the Pharisees predicted, they were a little concerned that the disciples might attempt such a plan. Amen. Although the according to what we read in Scripture, that the tomb was officially secured, sealed, and guarded. Am I right? Jesus rose from the dead, but 
but to attempt to cover up what really happened. If you read Matthew 28, the authorities went as far as to try to bribe the guards into just falsely claiming that the disciples have come in and stolen this away. Amen. So if anybody's doing some shenanigans, it's these men. Amen. If anybody's up to no good, it's these men. They're trying to pay off the guard to say, well, you know, just despite... Despite our, our training, despite all we've been through, they somehow slipped in here and got the body out, but nothing could be further from the truth. And so to convince his followers, indeed, that he had risen from the dead, Jesus offered evidence to those that encountered them. Although many disciples at first had, had struggled to believe, their faith was under attack. Amen. They they struggled to believe the reports of his resurrection. And I, I will say this, in addition, if I could step away from the resurrection scene for just a moment, even John, who had truly been touched with a brand of fire from heaven him, itself, that came out of the wilderness preaching, that came out of the wilderness bringing and making away uh, the forerunner, He has been called so many times. And he talked about not only his accomplishments, but he said, I am just here to represent one that's coming after me, who is mightier than I. A man who was willing to risk life and limb, his reputation, everything. He wasn't really concerned about what others thought. He was a man on a mission. But in the latter part of his days, doubt crept in. Doubt crept in that prison cell. Amen. Doubt crept in so to the point that he had to send a message to Jesus himself saying, Art thou him or do we look for another? Somewhere in the middle of all of this, doubt has a way of creeping in to our lives. Hallelujah. And so Jesus said, I just got to show you. I'm going to have to show you something. So he offered evidence to those that encountered him all Although many of the disciples at first struggled in this, they soon began to confess that indeed this is that same Jesus that they had known before his death. They witnessed this for themselves. Although Mary first thought he was the gardener, the Lord didn't leave her to just assume he was the gardener. Amen. In time, she recognized him as Jesus, and she addressed him as Rabboni, John 20 and 16. Jesus appeared to a group of disciples and Showed them proof. He said, I want you to look at my hands. And I want you to look at my side. I don't want you to have any doubt. I want you to understand that I I am the resurrection. And in order for you to get this in your heart of hearts, I want you to touch these scars. I want you to touch these hands. I want you to feel my side. Jesus appeared to them with the opportunity to say, look. Jesus instructed An unbelieving Thomas, amen, poor old Thomas, he doubted one time and forever got the name Doubting Thomas. (laughs) But I have a feeling if that is the, if that's the rule, that Doubting is all of our first name. Amen, we have Doubting Susan and Doubting Junior, I say this respectfully, and Doubting Joy and and, and the doubting Medrick, amen, doubting Cheryl. We have doubting Adrian and doubting Jackie. That's, that's who we've got here. That's who we've got here at the church this morning. We all, all had our faith. We've all had our faith under fire. Amen. We have been at that place where I said, I want to believe this. I want to trust. I want to hold on to this. I don't want my feet to slip. I want my mind to be set like flint. But... But, I mean, there are just some things in my life that are just producing doubt. But I'm going to tell you that when Jesus gave Thomas an opportunity to touch the scars in his hands, in his side, to this, Jesus said, to this, Thomas said, rather, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. More convinced today than he had ever been. John saw a risen Jesus On the side of Galilee. And John said. He declared. It is the Lord. It is the Lord. These accounts show. While some. 
were initially reluctant to believe, they became convinced when they were shown proof that Jesus had indeed returned from the dead. I'm so thankful that he didn't wash his hands because of a little doubt. I'm so thankful that he didn't just rebuke and excommunicate them for a little doubt. Because if that's the case, I would not have the privilege to be standing behind this precious desk today. And preaching this glorious message. Because I would have long ago been excommunicated. I would have long ago been removed. Because there have been times despite the faith and the overwhelming circumstances. There were just enough weeds of doubt growing up around the corridor and the edges of my mind. That doubt crept in. Doubt crept in. But he said I'll just do something more. If, if seeing me is not enough. If just looking at me in my image is not enough, draw closer and see the scars in my hand. If that's not enough, draw a little closer and see the scar in my side. I'm here today to tell you this morning that if you don't believe, if you, if you don't believe and you're struggling in your faith, I say just draw a little closer. Amen. If you think God is not God enough from the position you're standing in, just walk a little bit closer to Him. And you will find resurrection power. You'll find hope. My, yes you will. Why? Because He is the resurrection. Amen. He is the resurrection. He's not just a resurrected Lord. He is the resurrection. He has power over death, hell, and the grave. Yes, He does. Amen. And that power has been given to us. That power has been given to us. Oh, yes, it has. Amen. I, I, I don't, didn't plan to get into this this morning, and, and, uh, but I just want to share this in passing that this resurrection power was not just something that's kept within the crevices of the pages of the Bible. Amen. It's not just something that is hidden between these precious pages that was just for another generation, another time, another place. But in my own family, in my own family, as I've shared with you in times past, my oldest brother was just a little boy riding on a tractor as his aunt, my aunt Shirley was driving the tractor and Randy fell off and, and the tractor ran over him. And I'm testifying this is what I grew up hearing. Amen. This is what I grew up with. Amen. As my mom drove the car and my dad sat in the back seat holding Randy, Randy died in his arms. Amen. And my dad began to pray a prayer of faith. <clears throat> My dad wasn't the prophet, he, a prophet, he wasn't the son of a prophet, he wasn't a missionary, an evangelist, or a pastor, but he was filled with the Holy Ghost. But he was filled with resurrection power. Amen. He was filled with resurrection power. And my dad prayed a prayer of faith, and my brother came to life in his arms, and my brother is alive and well to this very day. In 1973, after a very, very radical surgery, my mother was in the hospital and they had given up all hope on her. They had done everything they could do. And despite all of their efforts to save her life, my mother died in the hospital, in North Florida Regional Hospital. The nurse was in the room with my mother, with my dad, when my mother passed away. She sat there for some time and consoled him. I'm sorry, Mr. Boyd. We've done everything that we know to do. We've done all that we know to do. And after a little while, she said, I need to step down to the nurse's station and call the doctor and let him know what is going on. And when that nurse stepped out of the hospital room for just a few moments, my dad began to pray in that room. And he walked down to the foot of her bed and he took her by the feet. I can still see my dad as he exampled this again and again. And he said, I just took her by the feet and said, Betty Jean, wake up. And my mother woke up. Amen. She woke up in 1973 and didn't leave this world until January the 25th of 2001. Now you say, well now preacher, you done got out there on well, I thought we was talking about Easter. I thought we was going to be hunting Easter eggs. I thought we was talking about candy rain. I thought we was talking about dramas from our Sunday school department. Yes, all of that is going to take place today. But I would be remiss if I didn't tell you, amen, that we have the resurrection power of Jesus Christ living in our lives here today. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. I'm not preaching, I'm not preaching about something I think. 
I'm not preaching about something I hope. I'm not preaching about something that, you know, this just might work. Now, I want to just say this for gestation identification here and a little, just a little housekeeping. I'm not saying that we need to go into every funeral home when you leave here today. Please don't leave here under the delusion. You're going to leave here and go empty out North Florida Regional Hospital. Because it is appointed and the man wants to die. Please don't ask me, as the old fellow said, to explain all this. Because I can't explain all of this. Because I prayed a prayer of faith. Amen. I grew up hearing that. I grew up hearing those stories when I was young. And that put faith in my heart. Amen. I remember one time when I was just a little boy. My, my dad had bought me some little chickens. It was really the first chickens I ever had. And a little chicken got sick. And I remember taking it in the utility room. And laying it up on top of a chest freezer. I was full of faith. I was just going to pray a prayer of faith. And if God could raise my brother... My goodness, he could sure heal this little chick. And so I laid my hands on that chick and I began to pray a prayer of faith. Amen. I had my hands cupped over that that bird and when I got through praying, I took my hands off and that chicken was as dead as dead could ever be. We're going to have a healing line here in just a little while. And if you <laughs> And if you're feeling brave, you just come on. And I'll lay these same hands on you. <laughs> and we'll just cross our fingers and hope for the best. I can't, I can't understand it all. I've prayed for people. I'm being honest with you today. I've prayed for people that I knew God was going to heal. I've prayed for people that I knew God was going to fill with the Holy Ghost. Amen. I've prayed for things that did not happen. But I've also prayed prayers of faith where God heard that prayer. And He moved and responded. What I'm trying to tell you today is that He is the resurrection. This is the foundation of what we believe. Amen. Let me change that. This is the foundation of what we know. <laughs> Amen. This is the foundation that the church is built on. Not a maybe so. Not a hope so. But He is the resurrection and the life. And I'm going to tell you, friend, for a mother and a father that slipped out of this world. Amen. In 2001 and 2003, my heart is not dejected. My faith is not gone. Amen. I'm going to tell you what. My faith just got pushed forward because I know on that great getting up morning, Hallelujah. When the trump of God shall sound, I'm going to be reunited with them again. Why? Because He is the resurrection and death has no hold on them and the grave has no hold on them. <laughs> hallelujah. 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 Why? Because He lives. Because He lives. Because He lives. Praise God. Oh, praise God. Because he lives. Praise the Lord. During his earthly ministry, Jesus repeatedly claimed, I will rise again. People misunderstood this claim. Even his disciples, as I've said, their hopes for Jesus, again, as I said a moment ago, their hopes is that he would rise to some political power, some military leader, or some... Uh, maybe to uh, assume the Davidic throne. He thought maybe, they thought maybe this is what it's all about. They had it all figured out. The temple authorities imagined that Jesus meant he would destroy and then rebuild the physical temple. They, they, their mind went physically when he said, destroy this temple in three days, I'll rise it up again, raise it up again. So they thought if we just tear down the literal temple, he's going to rebuild it. But he was referring to his own body. In his doubt, when Peter rebuked Jesus after teaching that he would suffer and die, and after three days rise again, amen, these men were hoping, doubting, hoping, doubting, hoping, doubting. And I'm so glad their flaws were included in Scripture. <laughs> I'm so thankful that their witnesses were forever recorded because it helps men like me. On those days when my faith is high, I don't really need to refer to that. But on those days when my faith seems like it just got washed away, I pick up that holy writ and I find men and women whose faith were so resilient. Amen. The sisters of even Lazarus themselves, one had faith for before, another had faith after. I have found myself right there, right there. 
It was only after looking back from the perspective of the empty tomb that Jesus' Jesus's predictions of death and the resurrection made sense to those who followed him. They began to realize his death and resurrection were an integral part of his life's work and mission. This is what he's all about. And so as wonderful as Jesus' resurrection was, it was just a foretaste of things to come. Paul pointed out that Jesus was the firstborn from the dead. Jesus unveiled a wonderful process, a process that would point the way for all those who would spiritually participate in his death, burial, and resurrection. In order to be saved, in order to be saved, we must apply the gospel message of death, burial, and resurrection to our lives. Amen. I'm not trying to be crude or unkind, but I have a mandate draped upon me today. A mandate to preach the truth to you. Amen. I say to our church family all the time, if you were, if you were, uh, if you were in, in the right circumstances, you would not want somebody to be dishonest with you. You would not want to be standing in a courtroom with an attorney saying, all is well, all is well, when he knows you're fixing to go down the line for 10 or 15 years. I mean, you don't want a doctor to say, all is well, all is well, when he knows you've got a tumor growing in your body that could take your life. And I'm going to tell you, the last thing you want is a preacher standing behind the pulpit saying you're okay you're okay all is well when I know in this scripture amen there are some mandates that are mandates that are placed upon my life and upon your life as well and so we've got to apply the message of his death burial and resurrection these that remain faithful to their calling amen will either be raptured amen or they will experience a physical resurrection from the grave that's what the scripture says I'm in the book now, 1 Corinthians 15. Amen. I'm in the book. Upon the second coming of the Lord, the Bible said a trumpet will sound. Amen. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 says, Then first the dead in Christ shall rise. Amen. This is going to be followed by the believers who remain. Amen. The Bible infers that these groups are going to meet together. Amen. We're going to meet the Lord in the air. The dead in Christ shall rise, and then those that remain shall rise. And so I'm going to tell you this morning, when people die in the faith, no matter how sad the circumstances of their departure, if it was a natural cause or some tragedy took their life, amen, it took them what we think prematurely away from us, I'm going to tell you that I stand right here in this position over a many a casket, and my heart grieved for me. My heart grieved for here and now. My heart was sad. And because there was going to be an empty spot in my heart, in my life. But I preached a funeral in faith. Amen. I preached their funeral saying that beautiful in the sight of the Lord and the death of his saints. Why? Not because he's morbid, not because he's twisted, but because he knows this is not the end. Amen. There's coming a day where the trumpet's going to sound and we're going to come together in life again. Hallelujah. And this shell. This shell that just had a life expectancy of 70 or 80 years. Amen. We're going to realize that it's not the shell that mattered at all. But it's the need of the message. It was the soul of man that will live on and on and on and on. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Jesus is not intimidated by the resurrection process. Mary and Martha were quite distraught. No worries. Jairus couldn't figure it out. Not a problem. She's just asleep. This wasn't an issue to him because he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Amen. I am. Jesus demonstrated this was true by calling forth Lazarus by name from the tomb. Lazarus would not be the only dead person And Lazarus is not the only dead person that would hear Jesus calling. As a matter of fact, Jesus claimed that at a future time, all those in the graves will hear his voice and will come out. Now, I want you to listen to me now. Everybody will hear Jesus say, come forth. Everybody. The grave will have to give them up. Some are going to be called... By that voice unto the resurrection of life. And others will be called by that voice 
unto the resurrection of damnation. John 5 and 28. Let me just, I don't want to make bold statements like that without giving some scripture to validate that. John 5 and 28. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming, in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice. All will hear his voice. And shall come forth. They that have done good are going to be coming forth unto the resurrection of life. And they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. We're all going to hear his voice. He is the resurrection. The grave is not the end. The resurrection from the dead is so foundational to our Christian faith. Amen. If our musicians would come. It is so foundational to our faith. The apostolic church of the first century boldly declared that though Jesus had been crucified, he had risen on the third day. They were not at all preaching a dead Savior because Jesus was truly alive. His resurrection had been no fluke. This was no accident because it had been foreshadowed in the Old Testament. Also, Jesus repeatedly affirmed during his ministry that he would rise from the dead. His resurrection confirmed that he was, in fact, everything he claimed to be. He was the resurrection and the life. The miracle of the resurrection brings tremendous hope, I think, to those who have put their trust and their belief in resurrection power. Our God is not just a God of the dead, but a God of the living, according to Mark 12 and 27. Amen. And through his death and the triumphant resurrection, Jesus defeated him that had the power of death. That's what Hebrews 2 says. We no longer need to fear death because the grave can no longer hold us. Nothing, not even death itself, can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. What can separate us? That's what Paul said. Think about it. What could separate us from the love of God? And then Paul begins this long, detailed list. But I tell you that not even death can separate us from God's love. Amen. I mentioned it a moment ago, and I will close with these remarks again. How sad it is to lose people in this life. People that have meaning and have a place. They, have, they hold some position in our life. And so how sad it is to, to lose them. To have to bid farewell. To somehow reconcile in our minds that this side of eternity we will never see them again. But when someone dies in the faith. In the faith. It is not a period in the sentence, but just merely a comma that says this will carry on. This will carry on. I don't know what heaven will be. I know we have some descriptions in Scripture, but I struggle with those descriptions because in the weakness of my own human mind, I can't comprehend its majesty. I can't even comprehend... If there were no golden streets and gates of pearl. If there were none of these things. I just can't even imagine no evil. No sickness. No death. No heartache. No sorrow. And I realize that what will make heaven heaven is not going to be all of those things. And I'm not trying to minimize those things. But that's not what will make heaven heaven. And I realize ultimately what will make heaven heaven is Jesus Christ himself. And I have no idea what the afterlife is going to be for us. And I know what the scripture says. I, I know what my limited understanding of that may be. But I think another thing that's going to make heaven heaven. Is to be able to be reunited again. And as much as I want to see my loved ones. There's a few others on the list that I want to meet. Amen. I want to 
I want to meet Ezekiel. I want to meet Ezekiel. I want to talk to Isaiah. I want to, if I'm not even permitted to talk, if I could just see him from a distance. I want to see these men and women like Rahab who, who thought enough to take the word of those men that were in her home. And she tied that red string in her window. I want to meet people that have that kind of faith. Because, Brother Gibson, there had to be a little tiny part of her that felt silly. <laughs> this makes no sense. There's no historical graph I can go back to and find where this has been done over and over. Oh, yeah, the red string. No, a string. And he said, and you and all your house will be saved. And God thought so much of her faith that he took this woman of ill repute and shoehorned her into the line, the bloodline of David, ultimately the bloodline of Jesus Christ. I want to meet Brother Polk. I want to meet people like that. I want to meet Rizpah, who said, not today. You're not getting these old dead bodies. Not today. Not today. Not today. Not today. <laughs> That's what's going to help heaven be heaven. And today, if we're going to make heaven our home, we're going to need resurrection power. And the resurrection, the resurrection power is Jesus Christ. I want to be filled with His Spirit, full and running over. Amen. I wonder if we'd stand and just slip our hands heavenward today. Amen. What a precious gift we've been given today. The power of the power of life. The power of life in Jesus' name. The power of life. I'm thankful for the power of life. Hallelujah. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.